Welcome to the Primary Source Podcast. My name is Tom Bober, a school librarian in the suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri. This podcast is here to explore the uses of primary sources in K-12 libraries and classrooms. We'll dig into resources and teaching strategies, talk to educators who are utilizing primary sources, and supporters of educators who curate these incredible items and use them in their work. Well, I took quite a long break between episode six and this episode seven, and I think part of me just wanted 2020 to end and go away and be done with it, but I can say that part of my 2021 New Year's resolution is to be more consistent in my podcast episode postings. So I'm hoping to have one up for you every two weeks through the end of May, and so we should get in about 10 more episodes between now and the end of this first, what I'm calling the first season. I hope that everybody had a great winter break in the sense that maybe it was relaxing, maybe a little bit quieter than in the past, and hopefully you got to do something that was just for you, something that you could find enjoyable, even in kind of the smallest sense. I know that I definitely got some quiet time around the house and that was welcome. But I'm also ready to jump back in and think about some of the great things that are going to be happening in my school this coming school year. But it also had me looking back a little bit, and it had me looking back to just before things went haywire in early 2020, and I had an opportunity for a group to come in and watch me teach a group of my fifth grade students. And specifically, they wanted to look at something I was doing with primary sources. I was able to get those recordings and take a look at them, and it inspired me to share with you what I wanted to talk about today, and that is the idea of transcripts. Transcripts being a copy of some sort of an original source, an original document. And there's a great reason to use transcripts. The most common being that students don't read cursive or script handwriting anymore, for the most part. I think they should. I think we should teach them how to do that, specifically through the use of primary sources, and it's something that we've done with students as young as first grade, and they do quite well with it. But commonly, it's something that students struggle with. And so to remove that barrier, to remove that struggle, creating a transcript is something that we might do for our students or put in front of our students. Another reason that I commonly see is what I might describe as kind of older conventional spellings or older conventional letter formations. So if we read something from American colonial times, the long S is something that's going to be very common um, and other letter switching that we might not see today. And again, to remove that barrier, sometimes providing a transcript can be really helpful to students. What I want to propose today is that there could be instances where students creating their own transcript might also be helpful. So I wanted to point you to a couple of places where students can actually create their own transcripts. And by the way, teachers and librarians and other educators can also help in the creation of these transcripts. And I want to also share a little bit about that example I mentioned earlier where I was working with a fifth grade group and transcripts. And in that particular lesson, they were creating their own transcripts. So that's what we're going to look at today for the episode. And 
As I mentioned earlier, two places I want to point you towards that are available online that I think are really great examples of students or educators being able to contribute, but also to create transcripts or help create transcripts. The first one is on the Library of Congress page, and the specific website for this is crowd.loc.gov. It's a crowdsourcing effort that the Library of Congress has put together where individuals can go on to this site, choose a collection where a transcript is being created for all of the existing documents, and not only view that entire project, but also contribute to it. So if I go into crowd.loc.gov at this point, and I click on different campaigns, different groups of documents, groups of primary sources that are being transcribed at the moment. We have uh, campaigns around women's suffrage. We have campaigns around a Walt Whitman collection. We have a, a campaign around a, a family called the Blackwells. We have a campaign around Anne E. Dickinson's papers that the library holds. And the list really goes on and on. And I think that from a library perspective, when I look at this list, I automatically start to think, where could these particular topics or where do these particular topics fit into my teacher's curriculum? Where is a place where there is a campaign that's currently ongoing where teachers or students would find it beneficial to go into this and possibly participate in this campaign project. So for all of these campaigns that exist, it's actually really simple uh, from its easiest kind of entry point. Essentially, all a person has to do is to dig into that campaign, and you're going to notice four different categories of papers within the campaign. Either something's complete, it needs review, it's in progress, or it's not started. And the last two are the ones where I think it would be helpful for students and other educators to focus in on, things that are in progress or things that are not started at all, because that's where they can actually go and create that transcript. That's where they can go in and assist in that. When something's complete, of course you can view it, but it, there's no need to do anything with it. And when it needs to review, there's a different level of entry point that a user might have to participate in that. And so if I'm looking at one of these campaigns, for example, for women's suffrage, I can look in the list of items that are in progress or not started, simply click on that link, and it's going to show me all of those documents. And then I can simply jump in. And when I jump in, it's as simple as just starting to type what you see on the page. One of the great things that this crowd.loc.gov has is for anyone who is joining in and helping out with the transcript, there is on all of these pages a quick link to quick tips so that you know how to deal with transcribing illegible phrases or words or letters. We're always going to run into things that we're not quite sure about, so it's very clear in telling us how to deal with them. The other thing that's nice is that there's other participants who come in and check this out for us. So if we make a small mistake, if we're not sure about something, there's going to be another set of eyes on it. And so when it's all said and done, we get this transcript that is there to accompany the original piece. In this case, why is it beneficial? Well, for the most part, because all of these original documents are not searchable. 
So I might have a title and some basic bibliographic data that was put in originally with a particular paper or set of papers. But if I have a full transcript, I can now search and make connections with individuals or other specific terms that are mentioned within these papers. And that could lead to a lot more depth in the user experience from the searching point of view. From the transcribing point of view, I think there's some other benefits that we'll talk about a little bit later. So that's crowds.loc.gov. Check it out, it's a really great tool. Another one that I wanted to mention to you that I think, again, students or other educators might be interested in is on the American Archive of Public Broadcasting. And that is simply a link in the upper right corner called Fix It. If you've ever used AAPB, one thing you'll notice about some of the audio or video recordings that exist on that website is that they have an accompanying transcript. And that transcript is searchable. I can read along with that transcript as I listen or view the video. And there, it makes it a much more immersive and simplified experience so that I'm not looking at a giant 30-minute segment. I can search down and find a very specific segment. The problem is, is that initially, all of these transcripts on the American Archive of Public Broadcasting are all done digitally, electronically. So a computer comes in and it does a text-to-speech recognition and it creates the transcript. And as you can imagine, there are a number of mistakes. And I've seen this as, as I've used this website. It's amazingly helpful, but I will regularly run across punctuation errors. Uh, there's issues sometimes with dialect that cause the transcription to come out quite odd. And so having people come in and check these transcripts through the Fix It feature can be extremely helpful. How's it done? Quite simply, you click on Fix It, you start to scroll down the list of available episodes, and you'll see that they will always give a percentage that is actually done or not done within the particular episode. When you click on that, you're going to see a long list of lines, and each one of them are typically about five seconds long. If the line's already in green, it's already been transcribed and checked, and once you start to find the lines that are in white, you'll notice a little play button once you hover over any of those lines. And so simply clicking on that play button, it will play that little five second segment for you and you can make any corrections. As I've done this, unlike crowds.loc.gov where I'm typing everything, here, I'm typically just checking and making minor adjustments. So again, if there are issues with dialect, maybe I'm changing whole words or phrases. Often I'm going in and adding punctuation where necessary. And then I'm just going five second line by five second line down the list and continuing on with whatever that particular broadcast is. And once that gets checked, that gets updated in there database. And so when I go and watch that episode directly on AAPB's website, I don't have to see any of those mistakes. And my transcript is much more correctly searchable because we've had some human eyes and ears on the particular transcript to make all of the necessary corrections.
So those are two places that I can go online, but you don't have to go online for students to actually create transcripts. And so this is gonna help me circle back to what I mentioned earlier about my students, fifth grade students, who were studying Colonial Jamestown. And teachers had asked me to do a little bit of work with them to broaden their understanding of what life was like during that time. I found a wonderful book, but this particular book had all types of conventional spellings from the time that I knew would be tricky for students if I just asked them to dive in to chunks of that book. And so what I decided to do was to actually encourage them to create their own transcript. And what I want to play for you right now is just a few minutes of that introduction. Now I'm going to tell you that the microphone in this particular sense was on me and so it's going to be a little bit difficult to hear the students. But as I listened back to it, I repeat a lot of what they say. And so I think you're going to get the idea of where we were going in this particular introduction. So let's go ahead and give that a listen. But I have to warn you. This could be challenging to read. This is just two words. They happen to be right next to each other. Does anyone have an idea of maybe what that first word is? Debo, what do you think? Do you have an idea? I saw the hand kind of up. Let me sneak past you. What about this word right here? Does anyone know, anybody have any idea what this word might be? Okay, so what would that make the word then? So if this F were actually an S, it kind of looks like the word answer. And then what about over here? What about this word? You have a guess on this? I think that's a C in the third, so and I think that's in the fourth and Okay, so this might be a C, this might be an R, this might be a Y. Eerie? E-U-E-R-Y, but that doesn't make sense, right? Because that's not a word that we're familiar with. I wouldn't put words up here that you're not familiar with. That wouldn't be fair. What are you thinking? Uh, maybe every, if, if the U, maybe, like, 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 could, I mean, the V. If the U was a V, it might be every. And Brady, I just heard you say that's what I was thinking, was thinking the same thing. I happen to have two words right next to each other that are going to have the most common things that might trip you up as you start to read this. So this, what looks for us to be an F, was really common during this time, and it's called a long S. It's almost like they take an S and they kind of stretch it out, but even though to, uh, when we look at it today, it looks very much like an F. And then in this particular document, you see U's and V's being switched around a lot. In fact, almost everywhere. 
And so our two people that guessed that this was the word answer and this was the word every were right on. But my wondering is when you're looking at a big piece like this, would using something called a transcript being easier to read? And when we're talking about a transcript, we're talking about basically a rewritten or retyped version of this text. What would you prefer to read? Would you prefer to read this original text or would you prefer to read a transcript? Which one would be easier for you to read? Let's just kind of do how many people say the original text for them would be the easier one to read. How about the transcript? How many people say the transcript would be easier to read? And the one thing that I want to let you know is that at the end, when I posed that last question, how many think that the original document would be the best one to use? I have video of this. No hands go up. But when I ask, how many people think that the transcript would be the one that would be easier for them to use and make sense of, all the hands go up. And so this is a perfect introduction to then lead me into them creating their own transcripts. Now, I want to put something forth around students creating transcripts. And I may talk about this a little bit more in, the, in another episode as I go through and dig through that video a little bit more deeply. But I think that there's one commonality between all three of these examples on crowds.loc.gov, on American Archive of Public Broadcasting's Fixit site, and in my classroom library example that I shared. And that is there is a true amount of crowdsourcing that is going on you are not doing any of this in isolation. And so as my students, as an example, are doing their transcripts, they're doing this in a group of three or four individuals and dealing just with one or two paragraphs of information to create their transcript. They're talking through their disagreements and their confusions and their wonderings, and they're getting feedback from each other to then not only make sense of the letters and the words and the phrases and the sentences, but they start to build an understanding of the entire document that they're dealing with, which as I mentioned is usually just one long or two short paragraphs from that particular passage, that longer book, that then gives them some insight, in this case, to the daily life of the Jamestown colony. I think too, though, that this happens on these other two sites. If students are on the Library of Congress site and they are creating their own transcripts based off of a particular collection that connects with something that's going on in the classroom, they're going to gain some immediate insight and understanding based on what the document that they're interacting with. If students are on American Archive of Public Broadcasting and they're dealing with a particular show or a particular episode of a show, they're going to gain some insights into that particular topic by creating that transcript, by focusing very intently on letters and words and phrases and audio and written text, depending on where they are, that's going to give them a different type of connection with the source than they might have if they just 
looked at the, trans, the finished transcript itself. And so I think that that's one benefit of students dealing with sources and creating transcripts from sources is it gives them in some ways a more intimate connection with it, gives them an insight that they wouldn't have otherwise. And I think that that's why these transcripts, creating transcripts from scratch can be really beneficial. So I hope you think about your students and the possibility of creating transcripts and the benefit that it brings to the understanding of a topic in a different way than just interacting with the final transcript itself. I will acknowledge that there might be some upfront learning that has to happen. Like in the small segment that you listened to, I had to give students some idea of the barriers that they were going to run into and prep them for that. There's going to be even a little bit more of that prep taking place if you are having students deal with handwritten documents. And so giving them some kind of insight into what they're going to see, I think is going to be helpful. Of course, if you're in a library setting and you're able to work with students over the course of years, the real benefit could be introducing that in small little segments so that by the time they get older and they're actually creating their own transcripts, they've already had this experience with reading other people's handwriting and knowing some of the tricks of the trade to being able to do that so that when they create their transcript, that part is not the barrier. They might just have small things that they struggle with as opposed to the giant barrier of, I have no idea how to read script handwriting whatsoever. So we'll save that for another episode, uh, but hopefully you give some thought to not just interacting with transcripts, but your students creating their own transcripts, either on crowd.loc.gov, the American Archive of Public Broadcasting, or in a document that you bring to them uh, on your own. I'd love to hear if you have had your students create their own transcripts before. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter. I am at Captain Library. You can find me there. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening.